0: One of the first hunts I tried outside of deer hunting was turkey hunting. I was in my first year of college and it had just recently been announced that the zone I hunted in, in Minnesota, was going to have a turkey season again after many years of not having one. At this point in my life, I was looking for new ways to spend time hunting, so I quickly started researching how to hunt wild turkeys. My main source of information in that time came from magazine articles and watching Primos Truth About Hunting on TV. I would spend all my time outside of studying and classes learning everything I could about turkey hunting. I would definitely say that today's hunters are lucky to have so many more resources, like this podcast, to learn about different hunting methods and tactics. Anyway, that spring I ended up calling a big tom turkey in and missed it with my bow. On the last day of the season I hunted with my dad and we had a memorable hunt together. We ended up calling in a big gobbler and my dad made a great shot. I'll never forget the reaction we had. And since that day... I've been addicted to spring turkey hunting. On today's episode, I have a great conversation with three-time Grand National Turkey Calling Champion and expert turkey hunter, Scott Ellis. We cover many turkey hunting topics, including scouting and locating wild turkeys, how to set up after locating turkeys, calling tactics in different hunting situations, the importance of learning how to properly call, the best strategy to bring in a hand-up gobbler, and so much more. If you're a hunter who's just getting into turkey hunting, this is a great episode for you. Welcome to Activate the Hunt, helping you master the skill of hunting. If you're a new hunter who's just getting started, or you've been hunting for a while, but want to learn
1: new tips, tactics, and information to help you become a better hunter, this podcast is for you. Get ready to Activate the Hunt.
0: Welcome to Activate the Hunt podcast. My name is Colin Cottrell. I'm your host. Uh, Just glad to have you back here this week for the show. Before we get into a a great conversation with uh, Scott Ellis, turkey hunting master, I have a quick couple quick announcements. If you haven't signed up yet, please be sure to head over to www.activatethehunt.com and sign up for our email list. We have a lot of great things uh, planned in the coming uh, weeks and months, and if you want to be, if you want to firsthand get notified of those uh, different uh, features and uh, events. Uh, you can sign up at our website, activate the hunt.com. Also, if you want to stay connected with our daily updates, be sure to visit the Instagram page at Instagram.com slash activate the hunt. That's Instagram.com slash activate the hunt. And you can follow my personal profile at Instagram.com slash Colin underscore Cottrell. That's Colin, C O L L I N underscore Cottrell. C O T T R E L L. All right, let's jump into this week's conversation with Scott Ellis, three-time Grand National Turkey Calling Champion and the host of Hunt Quest TV on YouTube with Scott Ellis. And if you're a new turkey hunter, this is going to be a great episode for you to listen to. You're going to learn a lot of different tips, tricks, strategies. Uh, one of the biggest is uh, from a turkey calling master in Scott Ellis and you're going to learn a lot about turkey calling and turkey calling situations and the importance of learning how to call properly to turkeys to have success in the field. Um, if you've been turkey hunting for a while, this is still going to be a great show for you. I've been turkey hunting for many years. I've killed many turkeys, but I learned a ton from this conversation. I hope you enjoy. How's it going today, Scott?
1: Hey, Colin. It's going great, man. I... I uh love to jibber-jabber about the wild turkey. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I love talking to people and trying to help folks. And obviously my YouTube videos you've seen over the years is a lot of instruction on calling and it is helping folks out. And I, I love doing it. So I'm glad to be here, brother. Talk turkey with you.
0: I appreciate it, man. I've been I've been watching your stuff on YouTube and and uh, actually just reading your stuff over the years. My Our good buddy, Robert Hogue and bowhunting.net, obviously you're not as much into the bow hunting side of things, but Robert's always talked highly of you and really talked about your turkey calling. So, you know, I've always went back to that and, and man, I I just, I'm excited to get you on the show here so we can talk turkey and, and, you know, get some of these new hunters out there that that are just getting started. You know, one of the, one of the things I like to tell new hunters is, Go out and try turkey hunting. Because that was like the first hunt I went on. And I just right. learned a ton from turkey hunting. So you now I thought, man, we got to get Scott on the show. He he could really <laughs> talk talk a lot about, you know, everything about turkey hunting, especially the calling side of things.
1: Yeah, and it's introducing people new to the sport or I hate to say sport to the legacy that we all love and embrace as turkey hunting. I mean, um, there's not a better type of hunting I think you can introduce somebody to. Um, you know, dove hunting is also a great, a great legacy to introduce to people because there's a lot of shooting, there's camaraderie, you're, you're hanging out with friends. Um, duck hunting is great because you shoot a lot of duck, You try, you, you generally try to ha- shoot a lot of ducks. There's a lot of shooting, there's calling, there's decoys and turkey hunting is just a quest, man. It's just getting in the woods, engaging a gobbler and trying to talk to an animal in his own language. And that is priceless.
0: Yeah, man, just a lot of action, you know, and and I think that's what makes it so intriguing as you get started as a hunter, you know, obviously hunting is hunting and you're not going to always have that action kind of the right. part of that part of hunting is, you know, just kind of the enjoyment of being out there as well. But man, if you can bring that new hunter out there and, and put them on some birds right away or have some action right away and that camaraderie, like you said, and it just makes it all the better.
1: Exactly. I mean, the cool thing about turkey hunting is it's so much funner when you're sharing it with a friend. Um, I love to slip around like a turkey ninja once in a while, all by myself, mono-y-mono, my calls, my gun, not even worry about a camera, lugging cameras around, just engaging a turkey on his turf and trying to call him in the gun range to kill him. That's always fun, but it's always better when you share that you, that time in the woods and you make that memory with a friend, especially somebody new. And like I said earlier, I can't imagine a better uh, hunting animal, a game animal to introduce a new hunter to then wild turkeys. It's it's a blast.
0: Absolutely. What why why do you why do you say that? Well, because mainly
1: you're reversing nature for one. Okay. We're setting up in a stationary position. We're emulating the hen turkey and we're trying to get a gobbler in and, and talk to him, entice him, get his emotions high, peak his interest, and pull him into gun range, shotgun range, or bow range for that matter. Um by speaking his own language. Mm -hmm. And that is not something you do with about any other game animal other than an elk. And I've done podcasts that talked, I've done Western podcasts with guys that we talked about Turkey being the 30, the 20 pound elk with feathers Um, because it's the same scenario. You're emulating, you know, cows when you're, you're elk hunting and the Turkey wood, you're emulating hens. And then you will also gobble and challenge a gobbler, emulating the male the gobbler and you also do that when you bugle when you're talking to elk and you're hunting elk in the in the rut and there's just no two other game animals that you really engage their vocabulary and their language like you do turkeys and elk so to get that and have somebody experience that in the woods and just give them a just a hint of, of the action and the fun that it can be it can be slow it can be boring you know when the birds are not acting right they're not acting right And that's when patience prevails. But Mm -hmm. if you can get somebody new to the sport, new to hunting and new to turkey hunting and you get them in there and get on a hot gobbler, you're going to have a turkey hunter for life.
0: I agree. Now, as you got started in in turkey hunting yourself, like where did that, did did your dad take you out? Did an uncle take you out? Kind of where did you get started?
1: That's a really cool story. Um, My dad and my uncle started me on squirrels about five years old with a 4.10 single shot. From there, we did a little dove hunting uh, on into six, seven, eight years old, about nine, eight, eight or nine. Actually, before I ever turkey hunted, about a year, we decided and I decided that I really wanted to learn how to duck call and to spread decoys and and learn how to duck hunt. So what's really interesting is my first venture into the wild game vocabulary was actually ducks before it was turkeys, about a year, about a year. I was like literally like eight or nine years old. And then, and then like at 10, I think it was, or nine, I, I'm off a year. So I'm getting old. I can't remember yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> but I started with ducks and then, um, turkey hunting was absolutely new to all of us. My father and my uncle had no clue about turkeys and what to do in the turkey woods. So as a young man, as a young, as a youth, yep. I started reading every piece of literature and it was really big back in these days. We're talking in the early, early eighties, mid eighties. And back then, no, internet articles, back then. <laughs> no, no internet, no YouTube <laughs> and everything that you could get your hands on to read was in print. And I read books and I read every article. I would go to the library and search the April, March, April, May magazines to try and find articles about turkeys. And I absorbed every bit of knowledge that I could have found about turkeys. Now that still doesn't put you in a position to know what you're doing when you get out there, but you have a generalized idea yeah. of how you're going to tree call off the roost. You might give a fly down cackle once he hits the ground, then you start the game begins. You start calling, yelping, whatever. And, uh, so I learned these calls. I, I picked up a mouth call again, like at 10, uh, got really good on it really quick. Um, I have a little bit of a musical ear. I play a little bit of music. I do a little bit of singing. I think that helps when understanding tone, cadence and rhythm. Um, I think that helped me put a leg up on the competitors, if you will, or on other public land hunters, if you will, because we hunted a lot of public land growing up here in Central Florida. I did actually hunt a little bit of private land as I was growing up. I had a, a, the privilege of hunting some private land, but I, I got real good quick on a turkey call. And As I started understanding what turkeys did, and I understanding the language and what calls meant, and I started engaging turkeys and seeing how they reacted to certain calls, it all it just came very natural to me. When I should call, when I shouldn't call, what call I should use, whether it's cutting and yelping to get them excited, or it's clucking and purring to calm them down and to play coy and shy. It just came really natural to me. I want to say easy. It just came natural. I understood it. And uh, and once I learned that vocabulary and when the calls need to be given and when they shouldn't be given, when you should go silent, it all just started happening for me. Are
0: you in Florida?
1: I am in Florida, born and raised, yep.
0: A lot of public land in Florida for turkeys? or
1: There's there's a fair bit of public land. It, it, it's pretty abundant, but so are the people. Oh, my goodness gracious. And, and this is 20, 30, 30-something 30 years ago, um, and turkey hunting was not as popular as it is now, I don't think, mm-hmm. but it was on the cusp of the boom of the the, the really super big, like, like around 90, late 80s, early 90s. I was about seven or eight years before that big boom, And uh by the time I was eighteen, I joined the army and that's a whole nother story, but and started traveling the country. But um yes, I'm in Central Florida and I learned to hunt osceolas on public ground with a lot of hunting pressure. And that's where, going back to your original question, that's where I started learning the more realistic I was and the more I sounded like a wild turkey and then knew what to say and when to say it, that's when I started realizing how I could be a lot more effective killing turkeys. And that's ultimately how I took my calling to the stage. A few years later at 17, actually, I took my turkey calling to the stage and then, you know, came to where I'm at now as far as the uh, competition arena. So.
0: so when you got started in the competition side of the calling, it was really the turkey hunting was kind of the intro to that. Just learning yes. how to turkey call, bring it, you know, be more realistic, like you said, bring those turkeys in from there. What kind of what was the path to the, the competition side?
1: It was just, again, the realism. The ability to create any turkey sound on demand, call control, mastering cadence, rhythm, tone. And then knowing when I got into public areas and I sounded more like a real turkey than my fellow hunters that were out there on that public ground, that was what was killing more turkeys. So it, it was it was a segue to the competition arena by just becoming a better turkey hunter. And then from there, it led into wanting to win titles and and just wanting to be better and be the best turkey caller that I possibly could.
0: Would would you talk a little bit about how the competition works, that side of the turkey calling? Because I was actually, I was a turkey hunter for several years before I realized like, this is like a big deal. The calling and the competition side of it is huge. Like it's massive. I went to the National Wild Turkey Federation show as a young, you know, 20 something year old guy. And I went there and I could not believe how big people were into this. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's basically, you have five to seven judges that are under a curtain. Now, now um, I have to use a disclaimer because the grand national open division has now changed. I'll elaborate on that here in a minute, but your general local contest is you'll have five to seven judges behind a curtain. You're a number. You draw numbers. There's ten callers. There'll be eleven numbers. Whoever draws number one gets to draw again. Number one is thrown out. That's not counted. So the scores start counting at caller two. Okay, mm-hmm. and from there you're going to have a scorecard that has, oh my gosh, plain yelp, assembly yelp, excited yelp, fly down cackle, tree call, kiki key key run, cluck, kiki key key alone, just a whistle, um, the gobbles on there um now we have fighting Purrs and Jake kelps and i think that covers the gamut pretty much i think i've got it memorized and um you're asked to do four to five calls once you're scored the high and the low card is thrown out so then you have the median you have the average score that is that is tallied from those say five judges three three cards will count the high and the low is thrown out seven judges you'll have five judges that count from there what we're doing is finding what I've done and had success on the stage with, with the titles I've won over the years was finding a hen with a voice that is very common to Turkey hunters across the nation. They've heard that hen. It's, it's, it's a, it's a sport. It's a game. You know, you're trying to have perfect execution, no mistakes. At the same time you're having to produce great tone and great rhythm and cadence. Mm -hmm. And what I did to become successful as I have, and I'm not bragging, but I've had pretty good success on the stage, was finding that hen that would fall very kindly on any judge's ears. I don't mean the hen that was too high pitched or too low pitched, I found that hen that was right in the middle of the road and she was very, she fell scorable on any judge's ears. If you go too far out of that spectrum of high pitch, low pitch, too fast rhythm, too slow rhythm, you're only going to get, you're going to get that one judge that loves it. And then four or five of them are going to hate it. So you have to find that common ground. And that's what I kind of figured out pretty early. And I traveled the country. I've won, oh my heavens, 60, 80 titles across 16 states, 17 states. So what I did is I took my calling out on the road and got assessed by judges across the nation and did really well all over the United States. So we're talking Texas to Iowa, to Pennsylvania to Florida. And there's not a lot of calling contests west of about Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. they that that way west. There's a few contests, not a lot. Everything is from from there west or east, excuse me, is where most of your calling contests are. And I traveled all over the United States. I mean, I've won titles like I said in like 17, 18 states, something like that. And what I found by doing that was simply the fact that my hen that I created, the hen that I heard in the woods the most, the one that I was emulating, was being scored by judges all across the central and Eastern United States. And when you do that, you're ready to go to Nashville. You're ready to call in grand nationals and you're ready to put your sounds against the best ears of the nation. And those, those ears will be from they, those judges could be from anywhere across the United States. They're not going to be, you're going to have seven judges more than likely from seven different States.
0: So, Obviously, doing all these all these different competitions and going to Nashville and, and winning on what we call the big stage there, the national, uh, the grand national, sure. you know, calling there, translating that back over now into hunting turkeys, does that is that you know is that pretty translatable? Is is I mean, if you're good, if you're good on the stage. You're going to be a good turkey hunter, or if you're a good turkey hunter, you're going to be good on the stage. Would you say or,
1: um, or they they go somewhat hand in hand? Here's the thing. On the stage, we have a minute to perform the fly-down cackle, and that will usually be two cackles. Nowadays, we dress it up with bubble clucks and real pretty tree calls, and then we fly down. Um, Plain yelping is a minute of plain yelping. So what we're doing on the stage, obviously perfect execution, no mistakes. We know hens make mistakes. Okay, we can't do that on the stage and score. In the woods, it doesn't matter. Hens, hens, you know, flip reads, if you will, <laughs> you know, throughout their routine, their their voice will get squeaky and high, it'll get raspy. They'll ping out on cutting notes. They'll get perfect cutting notes. Some hens would score very well in calling contests. Some hens would not, and I say that in jest because judges are listening for perfection, and some hens do not call per- with perfection. If the judge can identify that was a real hen. He should score her regardless, but that's not how the game is played, if you may, if I'm making sense right now. Yep, yep. So we're looking for perfect execution and perfect sound quality and perfect cadence. And how it translates into the, in the, in the hunting, Colin, is simply the fact that I mentioned earlier, you have mastered this call and you can create any call you need to on demand. Now, whether you've understood the vocabulary and the dialect of the wild turkey, That remains to be seen. That's on the hunter himself. That's on the caller himself. If he truly understands what call to make and when, that's a whole nother novel in a big encyclopedia or a whole nother chapter in an encyclopedia of turkey vernacular.
0: A lot of that is putting time in in the woods too.
1: It's just listening to turkeys and interacting with turkeys. But the fact of it is you master the call. You can create the call on demand. You've got the most realism you can possibly get out of latex and a piece of surgical tape and a, an aluminum frame, or if you're running friction calls, the same thing. Um, and what that equates to is just being able to produce the realism on demand. That's It's that much. It's that simple. Learning to call the language, speak the language, and learning to communicate with herkies is on the hunter and the caller himself. That's not what we're doing on the stage, just for to clarify to the listeners. Yep. Um, yeah. We're just creating a plain Yelp. We're just creating a, an assembly Yelp. We're just creating cutting or an excited yelp or cluck and purr. But to put it in Turkey vernacular and dialect, that's a whole nother level that's hard to explain outside of just understanding what the definition of the call means and what it means to turkeys. And uh, I've got to do a shout out to my app. I've got an app called yeah. Turkey Tech. And it's available on at the App Store and on Google Play. My app, Turkey Tech, explains the call when Turkeys use it, when the Hunter should use it and what the call sounds like. On top of that, it has turkey. I have wild turkeys actually creating the sounds on audio. I have me on a pot call and a mouth call creating the audio. And then I have video instruction how to recreate the sounds on a pot call and on a mouth call. On top of that, to finish it off, there's actually a recorder built into the app. You can record yourself and loop it against actual wild turkeys or loop it against my calling to help you get tuned in to the sounds and the cadences and the tones. So, sorry to do a plug, but it's a really good tool. Again, on the Google Play and the App Store, it's called Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. It's a great app, and it will teach you a lot if you don't understand the language of the wild turkey.
0: I, I downloaded the app the other day, actually, and have been using it and checking <laughs> it out. It's, it's actually a really great app, and I like I like the idea of being able to loop it with your own sounds and record yourself so you can kind of practice, you know, with it. With it's awesome. Yeah, that that's nice. You know, I,
1: I have my DVDs that I've done. You probably remember mouth call magic one and two. Those are still available, still yep. doing well. Uh, you can find those at scottellishunting.com but the app is almost taken over my, my DVDs because it's more interactive. Like I said, it has, it has text tips, written tips that talk about the call and helps the hunter understand what the call is and why turkeys do it. And when we should give it as a hunter, it's all right there in type. If the guy reads it, does a little memorization, then polishes his calling skills, then he's going to really be a leg up on trying to kill turkeys. You put that together with good woodsmanship by setting up the right places and by um, by understanding the turkeys and his behavior, then you're going to kill a lot of wild turkeys with those two tools.
0: Let's back up and talk about, you know, uh, locating birds and scouting for turkeys. You know, what what's your process in that, especially for like a new hunter? what What is he going to want to do when he's trying to, obviously maybe he's on public land and there's a bunch of guys out there you know, and he's out there trying to scout before the season starts. What what's he doing? What's he need to be doing?
1: Um, I, I've always talked about scouting being visual and an audio. Um, you're going to go out and listen in the morning from an audio uh, from an audio standpoint. Um, you're gonna you're gonna out hoot, you're gonna crow call, you're gonna try to not create any turkey sounds. I, I really frown on preseason calling the turkeys. I mean, it's something that. People do it. I've done it. We're probably all guilty of it. But why take the chance of getting that bird coming to you? You accidentally bump him, and then he's going to be thinking second. He's going to have second thoughts about whether he should come into a turkey sound because he did that, and then he got contact with humans. Mm-hmm. They're not the birds are not near as smart as we give them credit for. They're just they're bionic with their senses, and they have an instinct, a natural instinct to live. So, but at the same time, they condition very well meaning they get bumped by, by somebody running and call and then they have human contact, doesn't work out. So back to the question, you're going to go with the visual, you're going to look for sign, you're going to look for strut marks, turkey tracks, uh, dust bowls, feathers, uh, roost areas with droppings. Um, roost areas are going to consist of your probably bigger trees, depending on your terrain. Now we're talking from Florida to Georgia to Alabama to New York, hardwoods. I mean, there's, there's a ton of different terrain, it's hard to cover it all. Yeah. But you're going to be going into areas and you're going to start with, with listening and then you're going to start with visual.
0: Is this in the evening? Is this the morning, midday? Like what time? Well,
1: is- I mean, it, yeah. Easterns and Osceolas are harder to roost in the evenings as opposed to Miriams and Rios. The, the western birds gobble a lot better in the evenings. So your safest bet is to go out in the morning, especially with Easterns and Osceolas. Find out the areas that they're starting to frequent and they're going to roost maybe uh, repetitively in the same areas that gives you a starting point. If you hear a bird gobble in the same general area, three or four mornings, that's a pretty good place. You're going to start when hunt season starts. Um, as far as public land, I, I get as far away from people as I can. And then, and then, and very often I, p- I pick the places that are less likely, the less obvious places. Sometimes there are areas that you would not think to go to because they're too close to the, to the beaten path but yet guys walk right past it going deeper in. And sometimes you'll find that, uh, that, that Easter egg, if you will, that has a bird that's not far in, but people don't pay attention to him because they're trying to get off the beaten path. The other end of the spectrum is get the hell off the beaten path. As far as you can get away from hunters, get deep into the forest, get on a bicycle, get your walking boots on and get gone. Um, again, Turkey, you're looking for gobbler tracks, strut marks, dust bowls, feathers, um, Anything that leaves a track, uh, it's hard in some areas because it's very grassy. I look to the places that hold softer dirt. So I can see tracks and strut marks and dust bowls. Um, and again, you're going to be listening and you using audio type, um, scouting, which is just listening them to gobble right off the roost. Mm-hmm. And you're going to pinpoint these places and try to get as many birds roosted or, or as many locations of birds roosted as you can. You're going to use a map. You can, right now you can drop pins with Google maps. It's pretty amazing. There's all kinds of hunting software out there now on X maps. And I don't, I don't not, I'm not affiliated with any of them. I just know there's some really great maps that you can go out and you hear a bird, you drop a pin, you drop a pin, you drop a pin, you move to the next spot, drop a pin. So have as many options as you have possible, especially public land. I mean, if it's private and you have a little less pressure, it makes it a little bit easier because you can probably go to that area. You did hear that bird gobble three or four mornings. If you're hunting public land, you might do that very thing and have five guys park right where you want to go get on that turkey. And when you do that, there's not a lot you can do other than have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, to, to try to get away from those guys that may end up ruining your hunt. But it's, it's that simple, man. It's that simple.
0: So you have the birds located now. Now, what's your next move? Are you, Are you – Jumping in, that you know, are you running – the season's going on already. Are you are you running into the woods and just setting up and getting after them? Or are you waiting until the next day? Are you waiting until the evening? Kind of hop, t- walk us through that a little bit.
1: Well, I mean, uh, public land in Florida, and I'm just using that as an example because that's where I was born and raised. Um, now, next year, supposedly, it has changed in the state of Florida. On public ground, it has generally been 1 o'clock is the closing time. That's when you have to stop hunting. Okay. Um, Next year, all but about a handful of management areas across the entire state are allowing all-day hunting. Now, that happens a lot across the U.S. There's a lot of places you can hunt all day long on public ground. Florida, I I tend to think they're pressured so much because so many people, it's a destination state. It's like a Goulds. Um, It's the only place you can kill this turkey. I'm not saying I'm in favor of them opening it up to all day hunting because the birds, what's going to happen inevitably is they're going to be running out of the roost areas and they're going to be pushed in so many different directions. Um, I question whether it's going to be harder for them to breed and nest. I don't know, and this is a theory, but there's so many people trying to hunt them, there's going to be a lot of pressure. Now, not not saying every guy is going to hunt all day long, but there are the diehard out-of-staters that are here to kill an Osceola and not use an outfitter and pay 2500 bucks. that are going to wear them out.
0: Yeah, And uh, I
1: don't awesome. know if it's good or bad. I mean, there's a lot of public land I've hunted all over the U.S. I've, I, I mean, I hunt a little private. I hunt a little public. I do it all. I hunt wildlife refuges. Um, and those places, some of the places that you can hunt all day, regardless, they just don't see the pressure. But when you get the Osceola that is such a destination location – them birds are going to be run ragged. I mean, you're going to. It's it's really going to be, in my opinion, detrimental to the harvest. Uh, the harvest rates of these turkeys because they're going to be pre- pressured so much. But but back to your question, I mean, I'm going to go out. Um, you said, what do I do? Jump right in? I mean, yeah, you you got to give it all you got when the time you have allotted. You know, um, you, you're going to go in there in those places you've scouted. You're going to set up 100 yards from him on the roost. You're gonna give him a little tray talk and you're gonna wait for him to hit the ground. And it's that simple.
0: So that bird comes in, you work him, and maybe you don't get a shot, or maybe he hangs up at fifty yards or whatever it is and and he moseys off. What do you do next? I mean, do you keep after that bird or do you wanna move on to your next location that you've scouted or you know, kinda of take us through that?
1: Yeah, it it depends on the interaction I've had with a gobbler. I mean, if he eases off gobbling Um, I'm going to reposition. I'm going to stay on that bird as long as he gobbles. That's pretty fair statement. Okay. If he continues to gobble, I'm going to continue to stay on him. Whether that means taking a wide berth around where he's at and getting in fronting, getting in front of him, um, whether that means he's kind of hung out there 75 yards and gobbled good, but he's not quite close the distance. That's where I'm going to open my bag of tricks. I'm going to cluck and purr. I'm going to shut up for 20 minutes, not say a word. I might do a fight and stage some fighting purrs with some wing beats from my Osceola wing I carry around. I might gobble at him depending on if I feel comfortable doing it if I'm on public ground. Um, if he shuts up completely, I'm going to sit and wait on him because he could come in quiet. Um, that's exactly what happened to the gobbler on the Jake killed last Sunday in the South Zone youth hunt. Um, we had had two different birds roosted. Not roosted. We got on two different birds on the roost uh the one bird flew down with hens i could i was in i was engaging with the hens he was gobbling way off in the distance but the one bird that gobbled a couple times closer to us i could hear him drum every every so often i would hear him drum
0: explain quick what
1: drumming is drumming is a subsonic sound that uh, it's called a pulmonic puff it's a sound that gobblers make that they use for communication that is not a gobble but it's yet something that a hen can hear from a long distance and it is and it is a- absolutely displaying the fact that he is strutting and he is in the mood for love. Yep. And uh, I, I mean, I'll I try to do it my voice. You'll hear, a, if they're close enough, you'll hear him spit. They'll, yep. we call spitting. And then they're going to drum
0: and it's going to sound like this. It's one of the best sounds there is. Well, if you hear that,
1: just know that he's fairly close to you. And that's what I heard off and on for an hour after daybreak. And I kept telling my son, Jacob, and I kept telling Colton and Maddie, the guys that were hunting with us that brought us on this piece of property, I said, guys, I'm hearing a bird drum every three, four, five, six, eight, ten minutes. And I don't think anybody else caught it. Well, I did a couple different sequences, and um, Colton and I engaged each other as a hen fight, two hens getting in a squabble. We went quiet for a couple minutes. I did some Jake yelping and half gobbling and Jake gobbling on my tube call. And then we went quiet for a couple minutes. And then I hit my Woodhaven Ninja Aluminum and ripped out a couple cuts and one quick yelp, and he gobbled 60 yards behind us. And we all flipped around the trees. It was an absolute chaos for about 30 seconds. And within seconds of actually getting turned to face the right direction, Maddie says, oh, my God, he's right. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He came in. Um, Jake made the shot. It was an awesome hunt, but that bird about got us. But I had heard him all morning long drumming. So my point is, what going backwards to what you had said? If he goes quiet, I very often will sit on that turkey for a long time. I'll wait, I, and I won't call real aggressive once he's shut down and just quits gobbling. I'll cluck and purr and whine and do soft yelps and scratching the leaves and just emulate feeding hens. And yeah. that's yeah. very often what will curiosity will kill the cat and that's what will seal the deal on those quiet turkeys. But if he goes quiet, you had him fairly, fairly close gobbling at some point, don't jump up and try to move. I mean, eight out of 10 times, you're going to bump that gobbler. When you, you do that, just sit and wait and be patient. Patience kills a lot of turkeys
0: you talked a lot about doing all these different setups you, you know you and the guys you were hunting with were obviously kind of going back and forth you were doing some different calling they were doing some different calling you guys were obviously in sequence with that calling now are you using just mouth calls are you using slates are you you know you kind of talked about that a little bit you went pretty quick through it yeah but explain that a little bit i know a lot of these new guys going out there you know calling turkeys are going to probably on you know, to maybe a slate call or a box call at first but you know personally I actually really like learning to use a mouth call right away. It really helped me a lot. so because then I could, then I could use both at the same time you know so.
1: hands- free operation with a mouth call and quite honestly, between mouth call magic, between this turkey Tech app, between my YouTube videos, between many other YouTube videos that are out there, a guy can take a little bit of time, a hunter, and he can get proficient on a mouth call, I would say, within a month or two if he, if he follows the instruction and puts the time in. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I do like to mix it up just to give a completely different sound. For example, when I knew that bird was in the vicinity and I kept hearing him drum, Colton and I were both running mouth calls. My Woodhaven Scott Ellis New Energy mouth call It's to split me with the wingtips trimmed off, and he actually runs the same call. I make him a few every year. And we actually – he did some cutting. I'd answer him with cutting. He would yelp. I would yelp. We called together on top of each other. We did that for about a minute, just just basically simulating a squabbling group of hens, which is very enticing to any gobbler because he knows that there's multiple hens. From there, I went to a uh, tube call. I think Jake actually did a couple of box call sequences, just some clucking and yelping. From there, I, on the tube call, I went to my Jake yelps and my half gobbles. And then at the very end of this, the uh, sequence, which is over about a 30 minute time period, I cut and yelped on a Woodhaven Ninja aluminum and they called just screams. It just, it just will rip a gobble out of one. And that's when he gobbled right on top of us and we made this, the switch. So yeah, my, my advice is to become proficient on multiple callers. Don't, don't sell yourself short. People so often Oh, woodsmanship, 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 woodsmanship. Well, that's great, but are we not hunting turkeys by calling them? Leave your calls at home and go kill turkeys consistently.
0: <laughs> it's not going to happen.
1: It's not going to happen unless you're a heck of a deer hunter.
0: Yeah. You're deer <laughs> yeah.
1: And you pattern them that well. You can do it with no call. So people very commonly will, will put turkey calling and calls on the back burner and all woodsmanship, woodsmanship. Woodsmanship is absolutely 100% essential and effective and consistent turkey slay But it's not the only key factor. Calling is a bigger factor, in my opinion. I would say it's 60-40. 60 calling, 40 woodsmanship. Because if you uh, outside of that, you're going to set up and pattern them. You're going to try to get them going to and from roost. Yeah. You're going to try to pattern them what they do when they fly down off the roost and they're going to a certain area. What else are you going to do? People love to throw that woodsmanship card out there, and woodsmanship is awesome. Learning how to set up on a turkey, learning how to move on turkeys, learning how to low crawl on a turkey when you have to, learning how to move tight on a turkey, learning how to back off of a turkey. It's, that's woodsmanship, and it's very, very integral part of being consistently, kill, in consistently killing turkeys. But, but quite honestly, learning all of these versatility, all the versatility with a pot call, a box call, a tube call, a wing bone, a, a mouth call, a push pin, a scratch box. Learn every dang one of them because you never know when that one particular call is going to be what strikes a nerve with that gobbler and seals a deal. Don't overlook calling. I'm so tired of people doing that and claiming that tall all calling this, calling that. You get in the right place at the right time. You chirp one time on whatever call. Yeah, you'll kill a turkey. But I change and control my destiny calling every year, by communicating with this bird and not calling at the bird, communicating with him in his own language. That's where people quite honestly are lazy. They don't want to get proficient and they don't want to master a call. If it's one call, master it or become proficient in numerous calls. It can make the difference in eating a tag sandwich and killing a turkey. People want to overlook it. They want to overlook it. They want to overlook it. But I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 35 years And it's not because I'm a competition caller. If I never set foot on that stage, I learned as a kid that learning the language and learning to be realistic with your calls, these turkeys, their number one means of communication is by vocalizations. Do the math. It's not rocket science. (laughs) Learn to speak to them. You will kill more of them. It's that simple.
0: And you're just going to have that much more fun too when you're talking with absolutely. them. absolutely. That's, that's I would argue that that is what makes turkey hunting so much fun for me.
1: Absolutely, I've,
0: I've hunted elk and I've hunted turkeys, and I actually like hunting turkeys more because it seems like they talk. I mean, I've never hunted elk in peak rut, but turkeys, man, when they're talking and they're rolling, it's it's so much fun. It
1: makes it. Really and, fun. and and not even just the gobblers, the hens. Gosh, I love I love interacting with it. I had a hen, I had a hen, Kiki and Timmy. She was yelping. She was lost yelping. was what I call lost yelping, which is basically like an assembly yelp. It's a hen that hears another hen, and she's wanting to have company with that hen. Mm -hmm. Or it's a single hen that that, that has no company, and she's looking for company. That's a lost yelp. It's a long, very, very uh, uh, motion, inflection-felt yelp series. And I had her doing that, and then I started keying to her, and she started copying me and keying back to me. It was epic. I get just as much charge out of talking to the hens and having a nice conversation as I do just hearing the gobble. I I mean, we all love the gobble. That's why we're there. But but, but being a a caller like I am, I love communicating with the hens. It's very fun.
0: Speaking the language. That's awesome, man. Yep. So, You've talked a lot about calling. Now, are you using decoys? When I first started turkey hunting, I I started bow hunting turkeys right away. I, I kind of skipped right. the whole using the shotgun thing just because I'm a bow hunter. But so, dirt uh, decoys were essential for for us. It seemed like uh, in Minnesota, right. in Minnesota where I grew up. But um, now, I don't hear you talking a lot about decoys. Can you explain what your process is and using decoys?
1: Uh, I do not use decoys. That's a great question. I get go. asked that. Every time I talk about turkey hunting, yeah, I get asked that about decoys, decoys, decoys. I don't use them. Um, I learned to hunt turkeys by playing the game called hide the hen. And hide the hen is simply setting yourself up, using woodsmanship. Okay, here we go. We're back to woodsmanship. Using the setup to entice a gobbler to come look and investigate the hen that he's hearing. If you're in a position and you set up, and you start calling in a place where a gobbler should be able to see a hen turkey from 200 yards, you're not going to kill that turkey nine out of 10 times. Unless it's just a good old fashioned hot to trot kamikaze two year old. If that bird has any sense at all, he's looking to where he should he see the hen. He's not seeing a hen. He's not going to close the distance. So you use, Elevation changes, use a curve in the road, Mm -hmm. use a curve in the field, a pocket in the field. If you're on field turkeys, you set up inside the wood line, you use the terrain to what I do is called hide the hen. That's my whole, I think I've coined that phrase. I like to take credit for that, hide the hen. And what I do without decoys is when that bird comes in to take a peek at the sexy hen he's been hearing, hence learning the language, learning how to communicate, the bird is in gun range when he makes his appearance and you kill it. That's why I, I, I've said this numerous times in the last couple of weeks on different podcasts I've done honestly if you watch my show Hunt quest on YouTube every single turkey that comes in is is more alert and looking because there is no decoy they have nothing to lock onto yeah so they're coming in alert but still trying to be seductive and sexy but they're but they're looking for the hen they're hearing because they cannot make eye contact with her that's how I learned to hunt. Now, the reason why, one, I learned to do that is I, just the way I learned to hunt before decoys. In, in the mid-'80s was before the advent of the, the decoy boom. The decoy boom hit in the early-'90s, mid-'90s, and that was the old Featherflex foam-injected decoys that didn't yep. even resemble a turkey. And that was in the mid-'90s, back when I was in my 20s. And I bought a Featherflex decoy for $25.99 at the local hardware store. I was stationed in the Army at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, where I killed my first Eastern in 1995. Well, I bought one of these decoys. I put this decoy. I go, well, I got to try it. I mean, I hunted, I hunted ducks over decoys. Let's try turkeys over decoys, right? Yeah. So I put this decoy out, and, and, and it's, it's really ironic how things happen, um, how the chain of events occur. I had two or three, four different birds lock up on that decoy at a gun range, cup their wings, and walk off. Huh. And after I'd been killing turkeys for a decade before I got to Fort Jackson, when I was stationed in the army hunting my first eastern in 19, i had been about 10 years. I'd been hunting and killing birds successfully and calling tons of turkeys in successfully with no decoys. When I had that happen two, three, four times, I said, this is not for me, my friends. This, this decoy is not going to work for me. <laughs> so I threw it in the garbage or gave it away to somebody and I went right back to doing what I know how to do. Now that's not to say I haven't killed a turkey or two over decoys over 25 years since then, because I've been hunting about 35, 34 years. So we'll say 25 years back. I've killed a, a, on one hand, we have run decoys. And, and one example of that was my friend, Steve Stoltz, who's one of my, my Woodhaven pro staffers, a good friend of mine, legend, world champion, turkey caller, Steve came down to Florida and This is when the strut decoy came out about 10 years ago. And Steve's like, what do you know about these strut decoys? I said, I've never tried one. I mean, I don't hunt with decoys. And I said, I'll tell you what, Steve, I said, uh, before your plane gets in we pick you up, I'll run to Bass Pro in Orlando. We were hunting near Orlando, the Kissimmee area. I said, I'll run to Bass Pro and pick up one of these strutters and see what the heck this thing's all about. (laughs) Well, that, that particular weekend, we had a lot of success with the strut decoys. The the gobblers would come in from a long distance. When they got closer to the decoy, if you weren't using a true fan, Mm -hmm. which I was using the silk screen fan it came with, they boogered. Right about gun range, they boogered, and we killed turkeys. So that was about a decade ago. We killed a couple of gobblers on a full strut decoy. And I said, well, that's fun, but I almost feel like I was cheating. I don't feel like I was actually calling the bird as much as he just locked onto the decoy. Yeah. Last two turkeys I killed on Deeks was one with Shane Simpson in Wisconsin, Two or three seasons ago, we had two gobblers skirt us. They were about 150 yards. They gobbled a few times. They were paying no attention. We had a little bit of uh, a foliage in front of us, some bushes, and the gobblers went behind it. Shane goes, hey, I've got that Jake decoy. Maybe I should belly crawl that thing out there. And I said, you do that. I'll Jake yelp. Let's see if we can get their attention. Shane, while these birds were crossing in front of this piece of foliage, these bushes, if you will, Shane belly crawled that Jake decoy put it up on a, a, a cow pie. They got it elevated up in the air a little bit because it was kind of high. So he sticks <laughs> it in the cow, an old, an old dead cow pie, and it's sticking up higher than the grass. He crawls back. The birds come out to the right of this bush, this area of, of, uh, of trees and bushes. And I start Jake yelping. The birds actually caught, when I Jake yelp it caught their attention. They stopped. They looked over, they locked in on the Jake decoy, and they came in and I killed my one of my Wisconsin gobblers. Cool. So I give a lot of credit to Shane thinking quick and then me thinking quick about Jake helping with it. And that was one I killed. The other one was in my golds, my second gold's Turkey. Uh, Jay Scott has a, is an amazing gold's outfitter. Um, Goldsturkeyhout.com. I got to give him a shout out if you want to go kill a gold's Turkey.
0: He's actually one of my, my original clients as well in my, in my uh, digital marketing uh, <laughs> business Jay. back in the day. He, Jay, Jay's a great guy.
1: He is um an awesome awesome human being. He's an awesome Goulds hunter. He knows those Goulds turkeys. He knows how to pattern them. He knows their travel routes, their routines. He is awesome. He talked me into putting a decoy. He goes, so I killed my first bird. Uh, the, like we landed in, where did we land in Tucson, Arizona, drove through tombstone, crossed the border. Jay picked us up. Blase, blase. We went turkey hunting that afternoon. I killed my bird. Afternoon one, I finished my first Royal Slam. Wow. The next we roosted another bird that was gobbling near us. And, uh, Jay talked me into that next morning, just Scott, man, Hey buddy, just put that decoy out. It's a lot of fun. They decoy really well. I'm like, Jay, you know, I don't use deeks. And, uh, but he talked me into it. I was like, yeah, we'll stick a decoy on the ground. We did. The birds flew down on top of us regardless. Cause I called him right down on top of us. But when he did hit the ground, the mature bird saw the Jake decoy. It's so rocky in Mexico. Mm-hmm. He came over and flicked that decoy about three times. The decoy fell over. He boogered. <laughs> the gobbler boogered. It's on Hunt Quest. It's on this season of Hunt Quest, south of the border. I think it's episode, oh gosh, three or four. I'll be sure to link that up. Yeah, please do. But anyways, he knocked the decoy off the stake, started to walk off, and I shot him walking away. Um, and and again, that that bird, that would have happened regardless of those decoys. but. I I did it for Jay and that that's literally the hunt with Stoltz, the hunt with Shane Simpson and the hunt with Jay Scott in the last 25 years is the only turkeys I've killed in front of a decoy and I've killed a truckload of them. I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't like talking numbers, but I've you're talking four or five grand slams, numerous Easterns, numerous Osceolas. I, I don't know. a pile of turkeys in the last 25 years I've killed without decoys. So, um, It's preference, man. I mean, some people love to use them. Some people don't. Um, It's a matter of of figuring out whether you think you can kill him with the aid of a decoy or you can kill him without needing the aid of a decoy. I have confidence in my setup, my woodsmanship, and my calling ability. So I do not lean on a decoy to to seal the deal. It's that simple.
0: Now, for like a new hunter, would you recommend trying with a decoy or trying without a decoy right away?
1: It it depends on, excuse me. It depends on how much effort they put into learning the language, learning how to set up, and learning how to communicate with a wild turkey. Yeah. If if the guy doesn't do much homework and doesn't put his you know his give his college try if you will to become mm-hmm. a solid caller, then yeah, if you want to go out there and be successful, it's probably not going to hurt you. Try a decoy. I don't. I'm not faulting anybody for using them. I just know what works for me. And um, I don't lean on anything for a crutch. You know, my 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 deal is mono e mono, and the communication. My romance with the wild turkey is talking to him. It's not a visual. It's not reaping. It's not fanning. It's just mono e mono communication with him, and 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 seducing him into coming in and doing something he probably shouldn't have done, and then shooting him in the face with a load of Apex TSS. <laughs> <laughs> That is my romance. I mean, in other people's romance is killing them, period. They don't care. They're going to reap them. They're going to fan them. More power to you. Um, They're going to, you know, I don't consider low crawling and repositioning and sneaking the same level as reaping and fanning. But you do what you got to do to kill a turkey. I don't give a rip. Whatever it does that makes you happy, if you still buy turkey calls and you buy licenses and you buy camouflage and you buy turkey stamps, and you are supporting the conservation of our game lands and our natural renewable resources, then more power to you. I just have certain ways that I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to do it any other way. I'm not going to chastise people for doing it. I'm not going to condone it either. I'm just going to do me. And that's that's me calling mano y mano for the most part with the wild turkey. That's my, that's my romance. That's what I do. That's what I'm in love with.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, I I love that message, Scott. I appreciate that too. And that's, that's a big part of what I, what, what I want to talk about, you know, with these podcasts and with this organization is, is it's not about, you know, doing it how, you know, everybody wants you to do it. Do it how you want to do it. As long as, as long as you're giving back and you're, you know, and you're, and you're taking others hunting and you're having a good time. That's what hunting is all about.
1: Yeah. We can't be judgmental. The only person that can judge anybody is Jesus Christ. There's nobody else on this world that should be judging anybody for anything they do because whether it's hunting with one style of method, whether it's fishing with one style or method, whatever, there's nobody that should be judging anybody. It's just a matter of like you said, you said it eloquently, my friend, giving back Mm -hmm. as long as we're all giving back. It is what it is. If you don't like a certain load or a certain method of hunting, a certain camouflage, so be it. Don't use it. Don't, don't, Employ that method, but don't knock people because that's the way they do it. It just it's it doesn't do anything but hurt what we do, this legacy that we love of turkey hunting. Like I said, I'm not gonna condone a lot of different things that are being done today in the turkey hunting world, but it's not I'm not gonna chastise them at the same time. So it is what it is.
0: I do have to ask, have you ever killed a turkey with a bow?
1: <laughs> no, I, I am an avid, insanely in an whitetail hunter with a bow. That's about all. I, I don't carry a rifle if ever bow hunting whitetails. I'm a bow hunter. Yep. I love to smell the gunpowder, feel the kick and watch them flop. And very often you don't get the flop when you shoot them with a bow. And, and I'm a really, I'm not tooting my horn, but I practice shooting my bow when Turkey season ends for me, usually mid to late may, um, from June all through the crappy hot summer months of Florida all I do every weekend is sling arrows and grill hot dogs and, uh, having a few adult beverages and have a great yeah. time in fellowshipping with friends and family. We have about 12, no, 10 different 3d targets. I got my father and mother-in-law involved with bow shooting. They'll probably never hunt, but they love to sling an arrow. And I'm cool. just, I'm just so excited and they love it. And we have competitions. So, What's ironic is I've never given thought. I have no real desire. I'm not saying I won't ever do it, Colin, but I have no real desire to shoot a turkey with a bow. I just don't. I mean, quite honestly, even with TSS Apex ammunition, uh, which I'm on, I'm a part of the family of yep. Apex and the TSS revolution, and it does extend our ranges, it's still not um, giving you – a huge advantage I can shoot. I would feel comfortable shooting a Turkey at 60 yards with my bow. I really would. Yeah. And that's about the max range. I would shoot one with a shotgun with TSS and a red dot scope and, and the technology that now allows us to shoot them further than we used to shoot them. Um, but it's just not the same. I don't, I don't know what it is. Turkey's got a lot smaller vitals. Um, you have a little bit of advantage obviously because you have a wide open pattern that spreads open with multiple, uh, projectiles, not just one single broadhead. So, um, and I, and if I do it, my friend, um, uh, again, not knocking anyone. I'm not a blind hunter. i never, my son, Jacob is 12. Mm -hmm. He's never killed a Turkey in a blind. Every Turkey he's ever killed has been at the base of a tree or between Mm -hmm. my legs. When he was a little bitty fellow, when he snuggled up between dad's legs and I helped him hold the gun up with a shooting stick. Um, I don't do the blinds. So if I ever do bow hunt, we'll keep in touch about this. I'm going to use, I'm going to use a tree or I'm going to make a natural blind. I'm not sitting in a pop-up now. There's nothing wrong with that because obviously you got to draw, but, but you know, it's just not my cup of tea, man. I I see it on, on hunting shows. You have 10 decoys out. You do some marginal calling. You can draw, you can move, you can do anything you want to do in that blind. Basically that turkey's not going to pay attention. And you sling an arrow through him, and, and that's great. Good, good for the guys that do that. That's not my, that's not my cup of tea. That's not my thing. Um, I'd rather sit at the base, base of a tree and shoot one at forty yards with my shotgun. Smell the gunpowder, hear the boom, feel the recoil, and watch him start flopping all over the ground. That's where it's at for me, buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. I had to ask you though, just because I'm a, I'm no, a, no. I'm a turkey bow hunter, and I've killed a few turkeys with my bow. That's all, all I've ever done. So I had right. to ask about that. For me, it's kind of that's kind of the opposite. I, I like getting them in close and I obviously I'm in a ground blind and I'm right. have, my, have my decoys at, and I'm not a great caller. So that's, there you go. Right. I'm I'm not a, gr- a great caller at all, <laughs> but uh, I can get around the woods pretty good with, a, with the ground blind. And I got my bow and I've got a, you know, uh, some, some bow sticks on my bow so I can set it down on the ground and get everything set up really quick, locate that right. bird and then call them in, you know, and that, and for me calling that bird into eight yards and his eyes just—I can see him blink. It's like it's—it's sure. it's crazy to me. Like that's so. It, I mean, we all obviously have the way we like to do it. So that's it's right. All about how you like to do it.
1: That's exactly right, and that's awesome for you. That's what tickles. This is my my old cliche. That's what tickles your tweeter, man. Whatever tickles your tweeter. That's all, that is all that matters. That is all that matters. I'm not saying I won't pick up my bow one day because I love my bow. I love my bow. But all I do is is whitetail hunt with it. I just never had the gumption to shoot one with a turkey with one. I can't explain it. It's just, it is what it is. But I probably, before I'm dead, I will probably do it. I can honestly tell you. So when I do, I'll hook you, I'll look you up. (laughs) We'll go go bow hunt some turkeys together.
0: (laughs) That's cool. I'm going to jump into a few, you know, I put a post out there on Facebook and had some guys who obviously know who you are and wanted to ask you some questions. So I'm going to pull a few questions from Facebook. Uh, the first one from a guy named Cody Paramore. And he said, what is the best strategy to bring in a hend up gobbler?
1: Wow. That's a, that's a loaded question there. <laughs> hend up gobbler. Well, I you know, I've given this dissertation a hundred times, and this is what I'm going to tell you about calling two gobblers. Once you identify that gobbler has hens, I'm hoping that she, the hen will yelp at you or something so that you can identify the fact he has a harem with him and that's why he's hung up. Mm -hmm. Remember this, my friends, remember this. This is my dissertation. Gobbler has harem of hens. Harem of hens has a boss hen. That boss hen is either going to be one of two personality traits. She's either going to be really aggressive and confrontational, or she's going to be coy, shy, and very, very non-confrontational, if you will. And here's the thing. When you identify that that gobbler has hens, never, ever, ever start off too aggressive with that hen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Start soft, be civil, and that's with clucks and light yelps, and say, Hey, how are you doing? And then she may yelp back at you, and go, Hey, how are you doing? And then you yell back. And you guys just yelp back and forth until that curious hen comes right on in, bringing the whole group in tow to say, Hey, who is this girl over? She seems real nice. Now, if you've got that hen that's, that just yelps back and you hear this, oh my gosh, I hear it from, from turkey hunters far and near, man, I started cutting on top of that old hen and I got I caught on top of her and I yelped real loud and I cut while she was yelping. And, 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 and you know what? That works about probably 30% of the time. And the other 70% of the time, what does all that racket do to that hen when she starts talking?
0: Well, she, it it just scares her off. Basically.
1: She, he, thank you very much. Yeah. She walks off and goes the other direction. That is the shy non-confrontational hen that I just talked about. If she happens to be the dominant, super, uh, alpha dominant confrontational hen once in a while, that will work, Yeah, but yeah. never ever start the engagement with that, that, that level of challenging and dominance start civil, be coy, be shy. And that way you don't offend the shy coy hen that's the boss hen that has the softer personality. And if if so, if it's the negative, if it's the dominant, louder, aggressive hen, she starts getting nasty and aggressive, then you can raise your game up a little bit. Yeah. And that might be what it takes to lure the whole flock over. Now, outside of that, never discount the kiki run for calling the hens. Okay. It's a it's a completely overlooked spring call. I was kiki into a hen Sunday. She started lost yelping like she was looking for company. Mm-hmm. I started lost yelping back. I, I explained that earlier. Long series of yelps, very similar to an assembly yelp. It's a hen looking for company. Um, I started lost yelping back. Then I started keying. She started keying, and she closed the distance and closed the distance and closed the distance. And I don't know exactly what happened, but she came from a mile away to almost in, in, in sight. I don't, the terrain didn't allow me to lay eyes on her, but she was right there and came in close to us. Um, The kiki run is an amazing call because I think what happens when you kiki run to a hen, to a flock of hens, one, you're not going to ever offend them. Two, if she is an older brood hen that is actually the boss hen, she may actually capitalize, you may capitalize on that maternal instinct. She hears a Jenny, what she thinks is a Jenny that's over there by herself and lost, and she may come over and, and mama instinct may kick in, maternal instinct may kick in. And she wanders over just to see who this lost Jenny is. And she'll bring yep. the whole flock over with a gobbler and tow. Never discount the kiki run. Amazing call. So that's my dissertation for, for calling the gobblers that you identify to have hens.
0: Cool, cool. That's great. And and I actually did watch a video. It was called uh, First Timers, I believe. It's on your YouTube channel. And man, that yes. there, was, there was a oh, hunt yeah. with the young lady there. And you, I mean, yep. it was it was a long hunt, but man, you you brought that. I think this was a good example, not of the the Kiki run necessarily. No, no,
1: no. Just being civil and being quiet yeah. and soft. yes, that is episode one, season one. People, go watch it on Hunt Quest. Exactly what we're referring to. That gobbler flew down. The hen flew down with the gobbler. I got that hen yelping, and that's all I ever did. And she came right on over, and, and, and my, it was my best friend's daughter, Olivia Chancy that killed that gobbler. Beautiful example. And I talk about it in that, in that hunt yeah. of how I never got aggressive. And she was just curious, looking for the other girl that she heard talking. It's an amazing concept, and it works a lot of the time. Thanks for pointing that out. I appreciate that you no, saw that.
0: No that that was a that was a great. It was one of the better hunts I've ever seen, actually. And uh, thank I was, you, buddy. Just from the start to the finish, the whole thing. Oh, was yeah. uh, really good. You know, so
1: all that footage of him on the rouge goblin was pretty oh, epic. It yeah, was,
0: it was. That's <laughs> what it's all about, right there, man. Yeah, I love seeing yep. that. That's cool. Now, Kevin Haber is another guy who left a, a question here, and he said, "Where's your favorite state to hunt, and why? You've hunted all the <laughs> so
1: Oh my gosh. I get asked this a lot and I don't know that I don't have an, a different answer every time. I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> I love hunting the Pacific Northwest. Some of the most fond memories I have was when Jake and I completed our father son grand slam last year, two, two years ago in Idaho and Oregon. Um, just beautiful. I love the Pacific Northwest. The The landscape, the terrain is amazing and I love Miriam's and I love Rios. And it's because not that they're any easier to kill, in my opinion, my humble opinion, they're not any easier to kill, but they just gobble. And you may have a ball with one for two hours, and he may never have any intentions of closing that deal, but that sucker will hang out with you and gobble at you as long as you keep his interest. And And it's so much fun. Because the gobble is where it's at. We've discussed that earlier. I mean, you know, we go out on days, we hear nothing. We sit for hours and we call and we call and we call and we set up and we call and we hear nothing. And those days you take in stride. It is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. But by golly, you go out west and hunt rios and miriams. There's very seldom, if you're in a place that has any decent turkey population, that you're still not going to strike those rios and miriams and have a conversation. You may have no snowball's chance in hell of killing that turkey, but by golly, you're going to get him to gobble, and you're going to have fun with him. And that's why I love hunting any of the western states with the western birds. I've hunted Kansas, Texas, um, Nebraska, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, mm-hmm. uh, all in the western U.S. Are, are my, I honestly, are, are a lot more fun and more favorite to me to hunt just because you can have fun with the turkeys, even if you don't call them in and kill
0: them. Yeah, one of my favorite hunts actually was in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and that was there obviously true. Merriam's turkeys there, yep. and and man, yep. it was just like like you said, they just gobble. Oh, <laughs> it so much fun, man! It makes it, it, it makes it fun, and it seems like they like work all day long too. I don't all I don't day long. Usually, yeah, usually
1: throughout the spring in those states, it's not going to get real hot. And one thing that I notice a lot in hunting the eastern half of the U.S. Not the northeast, because it does get cold and stay cold up there. But Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, I've hunted all these states, Alabama. And, I mean, and outside of Florida, they will get warmer. But as a whole, when those temperatures are cooler, the birds will act better throughout a day. And especially when you go out west. I mean, you're going to get highs in the 40s during the spring. I love it. You can run and gun your butt off all day long in those temperatures. And, and other than the high elevation and the thin air for us flatlanders, it's fun. It's fun. You don't get hot. You don't get drained. You go do that in Florida and Alabama and Georgia in mid April, it can be 85 degrees. Yeah, That is not any fun. I find a shade tray and sit my lazy butt on the ground and blind call. That's what I do when it's in those kind of temperatures, because I've had a lot more success hunting in shaded areas with cover and blind calling than I have running and gunning in those kind of temperatures.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, we're kind of buttoning up on time here a little bit. I have a question, a final question. I typically like to ask all of my guests and sure there's a lot of answers for this question, but I want to, I want to know why do you hunt?
1: Why do I hunt? Because it's an adrenaline rush and they eat really good. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's, it's a legacy. It's, it's something that was instilled in me with my uncle and my father. Um, it is great table fare. I love eating squirrels and yeah. ducks and elk and deer and turkey. I love eating about any manner of wild animals. I love them all. Um, it's the fact that you are uh, you're channeling your inner instincts as an animal, not even a human, but as a animal. We're outsmarting these animals that have the most high sense of smell. Not turkeys exactly, but we're going to say that as in the different senses, sight, smell, hearing, um, you're going to, you're, you're outsmarting and you're, you're putting your intelligence against their intelligence and their natural instinct to live. And when you do harvest one of these animals in their own environment and you feed your family with it, there is no better sense of accomplishment in my opinion that outside of that, it's the pure rush and the adrenaline of getting out there and experiencing the hunt and becoming one with nature. And I I don't know any other way of saying it. It's not about the kill for me. I I mean, we all love to kill and harvest. That's why we're there. Don't let anybody bull crap you. That is why we're, we're there to harvest and kill an animal and put him in the freezer and eat him. But outside of that, it's the adventure, it's the quest. That's why I named my show Hunt Quest because I'm out there enjoying nature, enjoying time with friends, Putting your skills against the wild animal skills, it doesn't get any better than that, brother.
0: I'm right there with you on that, Scott. Uh, let's let's go ahead and uh, let everybody know where they can find you online. Obviously, we talked a lot about your YouTube, your Turkey Tech app. Um, I know you're yeah. you're pretty uh, you're you're out there and doing a lot of stuff out on Facebook and Instagram as well. Tell tell everybody where you're at.
1: Yeah, um, Facebook is my the the uh, fan or business page is Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis. Head over, give me a like. There's always stuff going on over there, doing giveaways, great pictures, great content. My Instagram, I love Instagram. There's a lot less drama on Instagram. Yep. It's fun sharing great pictures and just being positive. I love Instagram. Um, that is Scott underscore C underscore Ellis, or I believe you can probably type in Hunt Quest and it'll pop up with that handle. Um, you can find my DVD, Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2, on ScottEllisHunting.com. Um, again, we've mentioned my YouTube channel Hunt Quest a bunch. Please check out the show; I think you might enjoy it. If you like just hardcore uh, um, chronicles of somebody going out in the woods and, and hunting, that is what we do. We you know, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, check it out: Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis on YouTube and um, Turkey Tech on Google Play and the App Store. And I think that's about it, brother. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on, man. I, a wealth of information. I learned a bunch just talking to you right here myself. So, <laughs> well, and I'm the,
1: honored, the, buddy. I'm honored. Turkeys
0: have been the first thing I, I started hunting, so there's always something to learn in hunting, and that's what I love about it. But I Every
1: really- time. Never never lose sight of that. Whether it's me or you or me and you hunting or or us hunting with somebody else or the bird themselves or the deer themselves, never go out and think you can't learn something. I learned. I learned a chapter every year I turkey hunt. I learned something new. And I, and I have another theory and another concept of how I'm going to hunt them the next season. And if you, if you do that and go into it with that, that outlook, you're going to become better and better and better at harvesting animals consistently. If you go in thinking, you know, it all, you're going to be stuck in a rut. You're going to have blinders on and you're not going to be as successful as you possibly can.
0: I agree. I've been on both sides of it. I thought I was good at something for a while, but then I realized when I got around guys like you, I hunted with, uh, Matt Moret one time, another guy, Shane, Shane Hendershot. And I was like, yep. oh my gosh, I don't know anything about turkey hunting.
1: <laughs> it's very humbling. They humble I mean, different people and the birds and the animals themselves will humble me every year, year out, year in, year out. And I just shake my head and grin and I'm proud to be humbled. That's all I can tell you.
0: Heck yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks again for your time today.
1: Absolutely, Colin. Thanks for having me on board, buddy.
0: You bet. Wow. Like I said, this episode was packed with turkey hunting knowledge and information from Scott Ellis. If you enjoyed the conversation today, be sure to reach out to Scott. He's very active on Instagram and Facebook, but his Instagram is uh, scott underscore c underscore ellis i'll link that up in the show notes as well but be sure to reach out to scott let him know that you listened to this episode that you enjoyed it and you're thankful for all of his information on the episode also another great resource that was mentioned in the episode today is scott's turkey hunting app called the turkey tech with scott ellis you can check out this app on the apple store and google play be sure to go download it check it out i think it's going to be a great tool for all of you who are getting into turkey hunting Finally, don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever app you're listening from. And I would also appreciate it if you would leave me a rating and review if you're listening on iTunes. This will help others that are looking for hunting information find this podcast. We will be back next week with another great interview. Have a great week, everyone.
1: Thank you for listening to Activate the Hunt Podcast. For additional information about this podcast, the show notes, hunting articles, and more, visit www.activatethehunt.com.